in a series of messages entitled, Does God Believe an Atheist? One of life's inescapable questions is, why am I here? And the answer to that is largely determined by how did I get here? The how impacts the why am I here? You see, one view says that it's uh, you're designed and created by God, and therefore we're accountable to God because God is the creator. And if we're here by random chance, sheer fate, incredible luck, if that's how we got here, then there is no God. We're a law unto ourselves, and we have the final say-so in the matter because there's no God. In one view of life, we were created with intentional purpose. In the other view, life happened by cosmic coincidence. In one view, there's moral law and absolute truth. In the other view, every man is a law unto himself. And moral truth and absolutes do not exist. As you can see, there are two very different views on how we got here. If you want to know why am I here, then you've got to deal with the how I got here. And to know how you got here... By the way, the title of the message today, you can see it up on the screen, is God, Does God Believe You Came from the Planet of the Apes? Or you can title it, Do I Really ha- Is My Uncle Really a Monkey? I thought about that one. I thought about, you know, from the ooze to the zoo to you to get here. But if you want to know why you're here, you've got to decide how you got here. To know how you got here, an evolutionist would say this. You have to go back to the Big Bang, and I'm going to stay very close to my notes here this morning at the beginning. So let's start there. The following is taken from Jet Propulsion Laboratory, National Geographic. It's taken from NASA and Public Broadcasting System Networks uh, and websites, not typically friends of evangelical Christianity. The universe begins with a cataclysm that generates space and time. How it happened, they don't know, but it did happen. They're not sure how to explain it, and they're not sure what was before it, but it did, they say, happened on these websites. Now, here's the the time scene. It says that it generated time and space as well as all matter and energy in the universe that ever will be held or hold or have. For one incomprehensibly small fraction, a section, a second of about 10 to the negative 35th power. If you were to write one-tenth of a second, you would go one, a, a fraction sign, and 10. This is one fraction sign, 10, with 35 zeros strung out after it. One to the negative 35th power, the universe in an in, was infinitely dense, hot fireball. The prevailing theory describes a particular form of energy that can suddenly push out the fabric of space. Have they ever seen this before or since? No. But on rare occasion, a runaway process called inflation can cause vast expansions of space filled with this energy. The inflationary expansion is stopped only when the energy is transformed into matter and energy as we now know it. Are you still with me? You are still only in the first one to the tenth to the negative 35th power second of the beginning of the universe. After inflation, one millionth of a second after the Big Bang, one millionth of a second 
after the Big Bang. The universe continues to expand, but not nearly as fast. As it expands, it becomes less dense and cool. The most basic forces in nature become distinct. First gravity, and then strong force, which holds nuclei from atoms together, followed by weak and electromagnetic forces. By the, sec- by the first second, we finally got there. The universe is made up of fundamental particles of energy we know as quarks, electrons, protons, neutrinos, and less familiar types. These particles smash together to form protons and neutrons. In just three seconds now, we're moving along, aren't we? After the Big Bang, protons and neutrons come together to form nuclei of simple elements, hydrogen, helium, and lithium. It will take about another 300,000 years for the electrons to be captured into orbits around these nuclei to form stable atoms. 10,000 years after the Big Bang, the radiation era of the universe begins. The first major era in history of the universe is one which, the, which is where our most radio waves and ultraviolet waves come from. This energy is the remnant of the primordial fireball as the universe expands and waves of radiation are stretched and diluted until today. They make up that faint glow of microwaves which bathe the entire universe. Are you still with me? 300 million years after the Big Bang, they say that the birth of the stars and the galaxies began. Gravity amplified slight irregularities in the density of these primordial gases. And even as the universe continues to expand rapidly, pockets and gases become more and more dense. Stars ignite just you know, instant combustion, stars ignite within these pockets, and groups of stars become the earliest galaxies. This point is still perhaps 12 to 15 billion years before the present. Five billion years ago, now we're working back, five billion years ago, we had the birth of the sun. 3.8 billion years ago, the earth uh, knew its earliest life forms. Seven million years, 700 million years ago, primitive animals appeared. 200 million years ago, mammals evolved. And finally, 600,000 years ago, man makes his grand entry and evolves on the scene. If you're an evolutionist, if you don't hold to the Genesis 1 account, unless you believe in aliens... That's how you say you got here. I just want you to know, if you visit the NASA, if you visit the National Geographic, if you visit the uh, PBS websites, the Jet Propulsion Laboratory websites, they will present all of this as fact, but yet they will readily admit that there are huge problems and gaps in this theory that is taught as fact to our children in school. Matter of fact, when... If you go, the evolutionary process of man's journey was long. He started as a one-cell creature, amoebas and protozoans and and those kind of critters. They evolved to invertebrates, that's things without a backbone. Evolved into vertebrates, animals, that's things with backbones. Then, after millions of years, they evolved to amphibians, which evolved to reptiles. Now, there's some big gaps in here, but the reptiles evolved. They were quite the creature. They evolved in the birds and then simultaneously evolved in the mammals. And then mammals evolved into humans. What a journey to get here. I'm wore out just explaining it. The journey has been illustrated to us in charts and artist renderings that look something like this. The progression of man, you've all seen it in science books. 
and in college and in high school. One of the core elements of Darwinian evolution is that man evolved from apes. Right? You've heard that? And they have held up the, the, you know, the triumph of evolution and trans, transitional, transitional fossils that say that this fossil shows that man went from this species to a higher order of species. And I simply maintain that if there were transitional fossils, there would literally be hundreds of millions of them for all the different transitions and stages that the earth and man has had to go through to get to where you're sitting today. But they are very rare. And if they are found, they are highly controversial. Let me give you a couple examples. Look at Neanderthal man. In 1857, in the Neander Valley in Germany, a partial skull uh, was found and bones that had unusual features, large eyebrows, a ridge, and and curvature of the thigh bones. And, And then here's what they do. They take a few bones that they find, and then they give it to artists. And, and, and to uh, modelers that take those bones and they come up with this model from it, much what you see here. A model, and, and I believe this is from the Smithsonian Institute, a picture of a, of a model that's there. Models are sculpted, drawn, painted to show this guy, Neanderthal man, a semi-erect, barrel-chested creature with short legs, massive eyebrows, a strong lower jaw, and it claimed to be the missing link that 35 to 70 million years ago. Further tests led leading scientists to conclude that the unique features resulted from not and macroevolution from one species to another. You know? Go to the next slide. I love the next slide. The, the next slide, and there's the, the things that they found. And from that, they came up with the model keep going. And here's what they said a Neanderthal guy looked like. Short, stocky, big eyebrows, big jaw. Does that look like anybody you know? Just call me Pastor Neanderthal. Matter of fact, about a third of us look like that picture. Teenagers, when you get 40, you're going to look like that picture. Well, tests conclude, and science concluded that after they studied the few bones that they had of this particular Neanderthal man and of others, uh, that there were a lot of diseases that was in this kind of community. And Rudolf Virchow, who discovered this Neanderthal man, who thought this was once the missing link between ape and man, now he and almost all all other science believes that this was simply a member of the human race that scientists jumped the gun on and called it the intermediate transitional fossil record. These are evolutionists saying, no, that's a human like you and me. Well, in 1922, a single tooth was found discovered in Nebraska. One tooth, one tooth, and Nebraska man was born. I am not making this up. Nebraska man, 
Nebraska man is still in a lot of older textbooks that are out there with a little imagination that one tooth was connected to a mythical jawbone, that mythical jawbone was connected to a mythical skull, that mythical skull was connected to a mythical backbone. You got the idea. He was dubbed Nebraska Man and touted as the missing link. Six years later, it was debunked that this one tooth that started all the ruckus that it was the missing link was soon to discover that it was simply a pig's tooth. Then there's Java Man. You'll see this guy up on the stage. They found a thigh bone and three molar teeth and, and a small skull fragment. That's all that was found, what you see right there. And Java Man was declared to be an upright ape man, kind of between the ape and the homo sapien. And then Eugene DeBoss, an anthropologist who found the fossil, later declared that they're not transitional fossils at all. And almost all anthropologists believe now that this was clearly a human being. Well, then you come across in your, in your science books, your biology books, if you look at what your kids are being taught at school, you, you learn about Peltdown Man. Peltdown Man. And, and this is what they found. A, a, skull, a segment of a human skull and a segment of a lower ape-like jaw. Peltdown Man. Charles Dawson in 1912 found the collection of bones that were quickly hailed as the missing link. Over 500 PhDs were written on that right there. That right there. And again, the modelist and the artist went to work and they came up with, with, with a figure of what Peltdown Man looked like. His co-finders and Charles Dawson were knighted by the queen. Life was going well until 1953. And in 1953, Peltdown Man was shown to be the, the skull of a human and manipulated and attached to the jawbone of an orangutan that died 60 years earlier, even though carbon-14 dating, or not carbon-14 dating, but other dating methods showed that it was many, many hundreds of thousands of years old. The teeth had been filed and stained to give them a more a human look and to conceal both age and origin. Pelt down man was a hoax. I, I want you to understand something. They've got to find something to make their deal work. I, I don't know if you know it or not, but we found something that makes our deal work. Well, let me just go to, to one more. Let me talk about... Um, uh, Peking man. It was a single tooth unearthed in 1927. It thought it was to be, again, that, that intermediate group between apes and man because it was found in a community. And there were human bones there, and there was this one tooth there. And they thought it was a, was a, a, a monkey in that transitional state between human and, or monkey and, and man. And so it was kind of thought that this half-human thing was kind of cohabitating with man. Well, now it's believed that instead of the monkey turning into the man, the, the monkey became man's dinner and they ate the monkey, you know. And nobody believes Peking man was any more than, than a monkey. It's funny they don't tell you the other side of the research, do they? Then there's Lucy. I love Lucy. Found in 1974 by American anthropologist Donald Johansson while working in southern Ethiopia. This tiny skeleton, and, and just kind of flip one more there, Dottie. This tiny skeleton, and this is all they found right there. That's it. 
This is Lucy. By the way, it's named Lucy because the Beatles hit Lucy in the Sky of Diamonds was being played in the, at the site when, the, when this was found. Johansson claimed that he had unearthed the first ape to walk upright and hence the missing link between apes and humans. Yet Lucy has her problems. And by the way, from those bones, they made that. Now I'm thinking from those bones, I can make it look like a lot of you sitting in this room. I do want you to see there's a lot of imagination that goes into this thing. I know there's research. I know there's data. I, I know there's their, their hypothesis and what they think, and it's all based on presuppositions and things that, you know, they believe occurred in the past. But at the end of the day, man, this is like pure speculation. The other evolutionists claim that other people walked, you know, that this was like the first upwalk right upwalk upright walking human but then there are other scientists say no there were people walking upright long before lucy and by the way the knee joint that proved that she walked upright was found more than two miles away and 200 feet deeper than what the rest of the fossils were found which is an architectural no-no she's since been reclassified not as a transitional state between ape and human she's been reclassified as an extinct ape not human at all but yet she's still portrayed as fact let me read a little lengthy quote here these cases represent hundreds of others which have never hit the headline and they, may, and they help to make the point that in spite of the enthusiastic efforts of the supporters, the general theory of evolution, which says that all life on earth originated and involved by gradual process of chance mutations, remains what it has always been, a highly speculative idea without any clear and firm foundation. These are humanists saying this. It is a stab in the dark, says another. Philip Johnson's words say this. Instead of the fact, instead of fact, we have a speculative hypothesis that says that living species evolved from ancestors which cannot be identified by much disputed mechanisms which cannot be demonstrated in such a manner that few traces of the process were left in the record, even though that record has been interpreted by persons strongly committed to proving evolution. This is their own people saying it. And I just go, isn't there another alternative? The fact remains that microbe to man proposition is woefully weak. And it is little wonder that Darwin admitted in a letter to his friend named Asa Gray. And he said, and I quote, one's imagination must fill up the very wide blanks. Well, Darwin did get one part of evolution right. It takes great imagination to believe in it. If evolution is all you got to believe in, then you really don't have much to believe in. I don't know if you know it or not, but there is an alternative view. Would you take your Bibles and go to Genesis chapter 1? In Genesis chapter 1, you find... An incredible story of God's creative power. How created light and firmament and water and plants and animals and mammals in what I believe are six literal 24-hour days. 
And on each day, God spoke with creative authority. And God said, let there be. And there was. And he said, let there be on day two. And there was. He said, let there be on day three. And there was. And day four. And day five. But then when he came to day six, he didn't say, let there be. He said, let us make man. You see it there? Look at verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, equal. He created them. And God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. And fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. And you can read through the end of the chapter. Go to chapter chapter 2 and look at verse 7. Chapter 2 and verse 7. It says this, it says, the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living soul. Now, buddy, there's a contrast. If you want to know why you're here, you got to decide how you got here. If you believe in evolution, you believe that life came by random chance and you're just here by the luck of the draw, by fate. And honestly, if you believe that, you're accountable to no one. Absolutely no one. There is no truth. There is no absolutes. But if Genesis 1, 26, 27 and following, and Genesis chapter 2 and verse 7, if they are true, and I do believe that they are, then the other view of life says that God created you with, intentional, with intentionality and for an intentional purpose. Not by chance, not by speculation, not by mistake. You were part of the heart and the pattern and the love of God. So much so. But if I look at the descriptive words that God uses to describe how you and I got here, how we were made, the Bible says God formed us. That means he shaped us. He molded us. Just as a potter shapes pottery, we're formed and designed with purpose and with that that God shape. He formed us out of the ground, the Bible says. Those common things that are in the earth that are formed as oxygen, carbon, hydrogen, nitrogen, calcium, phosphorus, potassium, sulfur, sodium, chlorine, magnesium, iodine, iron, traces of other minerals. God formed us from the stuff of earth. Just like the other animals, I mean, he he formed us with the stuff of earth. So when he says he took the dust, it's not that you're a pile of dirt. He took the stuff, the chemicals, the minerals of earth, and he formed you, made you for an intentional purpose. By the way, I don't want to wait to the end of the message to tell you what that purpose is. That purpose is to have a relationship with him through his son, Jesus Christ. And that is what you're here for. So he formed us. The creator of all life formed us using the same kind of stuff he created, plants and fish and birds. And all that God created came from the same kind of stuff and God said it was good. And when God formed Adam and Eve, the parents of all humanity, there was something that God formed us with that makes us tremendously different than the monkey or the zebra or the ostrich or the orangutan. Look at the next word. The Bible says God breathed, God breathed to inspire in the Hebrew, to impart wind. 
Now, I don't want you to get the impression that God picked up a human body and put it up to his cheeks and went, you know, did a little mouth-to-mouth resuscitation and went, God's a spirit. And we that worship him, worship him in spirit and in truth. He, it simply means that what God created with, with the brain and the blood and the capillaries and the lungs and the heart and, 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 and the bones and the skeletons and the cartilage and the muscles and, and, and the nerve endings and the synapses, he just simply be made that to begin when he breathed. He breathed and brought life. Do you see the two opposites? Evolution says, man, it just happened by chance and those purpose. And the Bible says that God is the creator of all life, and you were created with intentionality, with love, and with purpose. And he breathed into us, and the Bible says what? It says that man became a living soul. Do you see it right there? Chapter 2 and verse 7. It says that there's something about human beings and I don't know if I trust this stuff yet, but I'm going to. After where I've been this week, this doesn't seem like a big deal. But God said he made us different than the monkey and the orangutan. In February, Terry and I went to a conference in San Diego, and we got there a day before. I'm just going to stand right here. And... Uh, And we got there a day before, and we went to the San Diego Zoo. Now, you guys know I'm not like an animal person. You know, I love them. I'm glad you have them. Keep them at your house. I'm glad you like them. I got three boys. That's all the animal I can take at my house, you know? I'm just not really the big animal guy. But I'm telling you what, that day at the zoo, you would have thought, man, I was, you know, Mikey the animal guy. Man, I got excited about a panda bear laying in a tree. Polar bears were behind the glass and, and just frolicking in the water in front of us. It was incredible. We walked through these bird actuaries and, and birds would just kind of swoop down, you know, real close to you, you know, kind of like a dive bomber thing. I did what any husband would do. I grabbed my wife and put her between me and the bird. And I marveled at the creative of God, the diversity of the animals that I saw that day. But I wanted to tell you that every animal in that zoo, and for every human being that was at the zoo, there was a distinct and eternal difference. One is a living soul, and that's man. You see, we were created, and here's the difference. You and I were created in the image of God Almighty. Remember Genesis chapter 1 and verse 26 and 27? Let us make man in our own image. It's not necessarily the fact that God breathed into you that, that gave you a soul. Because he also imparted life into plants and animals and, and, and got everything else going in the universe. What gave you that God-like likeness? that you were created in the image of God. You say, Pastor, what does that mean? Created in the image of God. God doesn't have arms and legs and hands and eyes. No, he doesn't. You're not created in the physical likeness of God. You and I have a moral or a spiritual likeness of God. See, an evolutionist would have to be a naturalist, even though naturalists are coming across the, the great divide and saying, well, you know, there's a little bit more to man than meets the eye. And a naturalist would say, all you are is a product of your chemicals and chemical reactions and matter, period. It's over. 
God says, no, when I breathed the breath of life into you, when I formed you and you became a living soul, what makes you and I separate from all other things on the face of this earth is that you and I are made in the image of God. You know what that means? Being made in the image of God doesn't mean that you are God or that you have deity in you. It just means you bear his likeness. My kids really love it when you folks go up and say, man, you really look like your father. Every kid wants to say, to be told they look like, you know, a 48-year semi-balding, pot-bellied, Neanderthal-type guy, you know? But they bear the image of their father. Listen, even if you're here today and you say, you know, Pastor, I don't believe in, in, in this creation thing. You have given me some things to think about, but I haven't really kind of bought into the whole deal. It still doesn't matter. You are created in the image of God as well. You don't just bear his image when you become a Christian. You bear his image because you're part of his creation. And that's why you have value. That's why you have worth. Not because you are something in and of yourself. Listen to what Henry M. Morris says about this text. He says, thus, though man's structure, both physical and mental, would be far more complex than that of animals, it would be the same basic essence. For God proposed to make man in his own image. So what does it mean? It means that man has the ability because God thinks and God feels and God chooses. That God has given us the ability to think and to feel, and to choose. Created in the image of God, we are rational beings. I know what some of you guys are thinking. My wife, Pastor, is not a rational being. Yes, she is. Created in the image of God. Simply means that we can think. Listen to Colossians chapter 3 and verse 10. To have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge, in the image of its creator. See, the fact that you can sit there and comprehend. When we were at the zoo, we were there all hours of the day. We got there right when it opened. We were there through lunch. We were there through dinner. We were there when it closed. I promise you, in the gorilla suction of the zoo, there was not a head gorilla that called a meeting and said, guys, let's discuss stuff. There may have been language of communication, of warning those basic instincts of, that, that animals have that, that you know, kind of give herd protection and, and, and those kind of things. But there wasn't this rational communication that's what's kind of going on here. Where you're thinking and you're processing, you're reasoning, you're reflecting, you're pondering, you're assessing. And then not only do you have the ability to choose, but you have the ability to feel. Can you honestly imagine... When you tell somebody you love them and you want to marry them, and they look at you and say, well, will you please tell me why you want to marry me? You say, well, honey, it's just a byproduct of my synapses and matter and neurons firing in my brain. That's it. Pretty much. Or would you rather marry the guy who says, man, there is just something deep down in my soul that just wants to spend 
every day with you. I can't describe it. I can't explain it. But there are days my heart just hurts to be with you, just to hear your voice and look into your eyes. Who wants to marry that guy? Married women are raising their hands all across their trousers. Not talking to you now. Stay with me here, people. God has this wonderful capacity. The Bible talks about how he loves us. For God so loved the world that he gave his best, his only son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. But, you know, we also have another image-bearing mark of God in us, and that's we can choose. God says, you know, the creationists and the evolutionists look at the same evidence. We look at the same earth. We look at the same fossil record. We look at the same fossils. We look at the same data. An evolutionist has a philosophical base that says we're all natural. There's no supernatural. There's no God. There's no miraculous. It's just what you see, know, and experience. And when you're done, it's just material. And when you're done, it's over. The biblicist, the Christian... The creationists would say, no, 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 there's a little bit more to the creation story. That on that sixth day when God formed us and breathed into us and man became a living soul, we bore and bear the image of God in our body. Isn't that exciting? That's why you can think. That's why you can choose. That's why you can love with with passion. That's why you can be so passionate about your Michigan Wolverines. And I can be so passionate about my Ohio State Buckeyes. I guarantee you that was not a neuronic response right there. Please understand. You are in the image of God. Today you can think, you can feel, and you can choose. Self-determination, rational thinking. You can be relational, and God creates us for that. I believe it's in the soul of a person that reasoning, loving, and feeling, and pondering, and choosing, and evaluating happens. It's an image. Listen to the frustrated words of a Darwinist philosopher, Michael Ruse. Listen to what he says. He says, why should a bunch of atoms have thinking ability? Why should I, even as I right now, be able to reflect on what I'm doing? And why should you, even as you read now, be able to ponder my points, agreeing or disagreeing, with pleasure or pain, deciding to refute me or deciding that I am just not worth the effort? No one, certainly not Darwinian as such, seemed to have an answer to this. The point is, is that there is no scientific answer, end of quote. But there is a spiritual answer. The Bible says that on day six, he picked us up, shaped us, molded us, not only just with his hands, but with his his heart, with intentionality, with purpose, because he wanted to have a personal relationship with all of us. He breathed into us, and we became a living soul. God imparted to us a a will to choose and and exercise self-determination, emotions to feel and, and a mind to think with. Think about it. And the fact is, you can think about it. Let me see if I can wrap it up in about two minutes here and make it very personal to where you're sitting right now. 
almost every Sunday, we do something that proves the creationist theory. We do something in church called an invitation. It's usually at the end where we invite you to respond to the service. It is the fact that you're created in the image of God that we have in our services these specific times of invitation. It's a time of, your, of conscious introspection in your soul. It's a time to be totally human as God created you to be. It's to use your conscious ability to ponder and reason and speculate and imagine, to feel and to decide how you should live based on what you've heard. And whether you are a believer or not, you're created in the image of God. And during the invitation, we invite you to willfully embrace the full expression of God in your life through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. The fact that you can weigh that decision of the soul indicates that there is far more to you than natural processes, that there are spiritual implications at work. So during the invitation... I want you to do that image of God thing in your soul. I want you to think, to reason, right now, reflect. You know what we sung. You've heard the message. You've heard the, the beautiful, special music today. Feel, decide how you should live based on what you've heard in your soul. There just might be a moving of the Holy Spirit in your soul towards God to either affirm your faith in him or maybe as you look back on this week and you do that reasoning, introspective thing, the Holy Spirit of God convicts you of sin and you go, oh man, that's wrong. And the fact that you know something is wrong bears a tremendous mark of humanity and creationist, not of evolutionist. There just might be that moving of God, affirming faith, convicting of sin, or simply inviting you to embrace the full expression of God in your life through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ in whose image you bear. Think about it. Feel the Holy Spirit's tug in your heart. But then the choice is up to you. The Bible says, choose you this day who you'll serve. You'll choose either to serve Christ and understand why you're here, or you'll say, no, I'm just... But it is your choice. By the way, if you don't know how to accept Jesus as your Savior, to, to find that full expression of faith in him, let me tell you real quickly. First of all, you simply believe that he is who he says he is, the Son of God and the Savior of the world. And then you accept his payment on the cross for your sins. He died so that you might live. And then you switch to his plan for your life because not only did he create Adam and Eve with tremendous intentionality in the Garden of Eden, he's got a wonderful plan for your life. Or you can just be a, a fatalist evolutionist and says, well, everything just kind of happens by random chance. And, well, you know what? I kind of plowed into a semi-truck and that just happened by chance and... So they're going to jack my insurance up, and that happens by chance. And so I have no car to drive, and that happens by chance. And I lost my job, and that happens by chance. And I just, uh, this and that and that and that. Boy, that's kind of a fatalistic way to live. 
or the way that says, you know, I'm created for a divine purpose and a divine reason, and God's got a wonderful plan for my life. Certainly there's ups and certainly there's downs in that life, but God's got this wonderful plan for my life. It's this great adventure of God. And when I let God be the final director, the boss of my life, and God calls the final shot, he has the final say, I'm telling you, you begin to embrace the full expression of God. So I want you to do something very Genesis 1, 26 and 27 and 2 and verse 7. I want you to be fully human, not as you evolved, but as God created you. I want you to take what you've heard in this message and in this service today and with your mind and with your heart and with your will, I want you to choose what you're going to do. Matter of fact, would you just kind of bow your head so this can be kind of a very personal moment and nobody's moving, the ushers and nobody else needs to scurry about it. Everybody just kind of sit tight to where you're at. Just, what are you thinking? You may be here and you've just not been to church very much at all. I'm glad because because we're not about church. We're about having a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. We're about having full expression of Christ in us, whose image we bear. Through a personal relationship with him. He formed us, he breathed into us, he shaped us, we became a living soul because we bear his image to think, to feel, and to act. So I wonder if there's somebody You would trust me and nobody's looking around. God's just going to play. We're not embarrassing you. This is not a form of manipulation. I just kind of want to start by praying for you. I wonder if there might be somebody you say, Pastor, I'm not a Christian. I'm not a believer. But I did listen to you. And I'm reflecting. I'm pondering. And I'm thinking about it. And as I'm pondering and as I'm thinking and as I'm reflecting about it, would you pray for me? This doesn't save you. It just says, I just kind of just want you to help pray for me as I process this whole thing of why am I here and why I'm here. To find out why I'm here depends on how you got here, how you believe you got here. And so you say, Pastor, I don't have that personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Would you just pray for me? I wonder if there did anyone, you just kind of raise your hand real quick. Say, Pastor, thank you. I'm so glad you're here. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you for coming today. I wonder if there's a Christian, and as I as I talk about being made in the image of God, you you've did some things and you've participated in some things this week that weren't very honoring to the image of the God that you bear. And you say, Pastor, would you pray for me? I There's just some things in my walk with Christ I need to just kind of deal with. And so, Pastor, would you pray for me? I'm a believer, but would you you pray for me? Would you raise your hand and others are raising theirs? Keep it up for just a second. I see you and I see you. Thank you and thank you. Just give me a second to kind of find you with the lights and everything. Hey, let me ask you one question final question with your mind and with your heart and with your will if you would like to choose to embrace the full expression of the image of God and have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ who loved you enough to die on the cross for your sins and I know that's deep but it's true 
would you just pray this simple prayer right where you're at? Dear Jesus, forgive me of my sins. Come into my heart so I can know God more fully. Help me to grow in my newfound faith. Help me to do my best to live what you created me for and to find that place, to find that purpose and to do it. And I promise you, nobody's looking around but me. And if you prayed that prayer right now, would you just, would you take the first kind of little step of faith and, and just raise your hand right where you see it? I promise you, I'll not embarrass you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thank you. Would you do one other thing? And, and you don't have to do this because you've got a mind and a will and a, and, and a heart. But I'd love to just talk with you or Tommy would love to talk with you and he's going to be right down here in front of the dock and he won't know because he wasn't looking around just me was the only one looking around and would you just tell him that you prayed that prayer with the pastor and he'll just love on you and give you some encouraging words quick prayer over you nothing to embarrass you and he's there to answer questions that you might have Father I want to thank you that I am made not through a random process of chance and time mutations and evolution but with intentionality and a sovereign purpose you formed the dust of the earth breathed into man and we became living souls because we bear the image of God we can think we can feel we can choose and there were several today that chose to give their heart to you and I praise your name for that and I pray that as they begin those first steps of faith and new life in you I pray that you would be honored so, Father, my heart and my desire is that our church would always be a place where we can find the full expression of God in our life through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And we as the people of God, people who call this our home church, we rejoice in these who have accepted Christ as their Savior today. And we give you praise and glory and honor. people say amen you know sometimes an offering is such a hard thing to do because you don't know where to put it in the service a lot of times and then you kind of come to a point like this where I would really just like to say have a great day see you here tomorrow night and if you're a guest with us today this part of the service isn't for you 
Because we do not believe that, the tie, that, that you as a non-Christian or a non-member of our church are responsible to support the church. Amen? We believe it's the responsibility of our church membership and those who call this their home church to support the church with their tithes and offerings. So our ushers are going to come. And if you're visiting today, I would appreciate if you would fill out the friendship communication card. We do would love to know that you're here with us and Tommy will probably shoot off an email to you in the next day or two and be glad to answer any questions you have. And for our folks, be faithful to serve and be this week and be faithful to support our church through your tithes and through your offerings. Donna's going to say the prayer over the offering and then lead us or dismiss us from this point forward. I am excited about Vacation Bible School this week. I'm excited to hear about numbers and numbers of children who will accept Jesus Christ into their heart this week. Be a bus driver, be a van driver, be a chauffeur for your children or your grandkids. Get them here. Go by and pick their friends up. God will bless you for it. Lord Jesus, we come together in sweet release, Lord. Rejoicing with those this morning who have laid down, who have been released, who have been set free from the grip of the chains of sin and from the chains of the evil one on their life, Lord God, and we celebrate with them. And we're reminded of the time, dear Father, when we, when we accepted you, Lord, as our Lord, as our Savior, when we began a relationship with you to follow you, Lord God. We once again celebrate that, Lord God. We, we just relish in your love today, Lord God. We just want to hang out there and say, Lord, thank you, thank you, thank you. And so, Lord, I pray now that you would just take this offering. Lord, both of our lips and, uh, and from that which we place in a plate, Lord, and I pray that you would be honored uh, with both that we bring to you today. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Let's sing together. We are free. Who are we? That you would be mindful of us. Let's stand up and sing this. What do you see? It's worth looking our way. This is the part. We are free. I wanted to get here earlier. We are free. In ways that we never should be. Sweet release. Sweet release. From the grip of these chains. Like hinges straining from the weight. Just straining from the
ourselves compared to Calvary. But nevertheless, we, we're going to lay this little offering down. We lay it at your feet. Amen. Such a tiny offering. Sing it again, church. Such a tiny offering compared to Calvary. Nevertheless, Make sure you register your kids for Vacation Bible School and turn in your little forms for VBS. Have a wonderful Lord's Day.